0: I have about two and a half minutes to share this morning. I'm just kidding. So that's actually a minute longer than I need. Uh, so we'll be good. I do, have a short, I do have a short exhortation. I knew that we would have a lot of other things going on this morning. But track with me just for a moment, because I believe I have something on my heart that the Lord wants to share with us collectively. And I believe that, um, I believe that what he wants to say, he's been saying to probably many of us individually. But to hear it confirmed, Sometimes is, is just that extra boost of, okay, God, I'm, I'm where you wanted me. I'm in the season that I thought I was in and I needed it confirmed in the discernment of the body is oftentimes, uh, it's, it's a collective effort, uh, and to hear what God is doing. So I don't know about you, but there are a few times in my, in my calendar cycle, in my life that I have verbal diarrhea. I, I really suffer. Bob, I know you find it surprising. I really suffer with, frustration, and then even more, my wife will confirm. One of these is when we put up a real Christmas tree, David. A real, I did not grow up putting up a real Christmas tree. I got the dusty old fake one out of the attic, and we would put it up, and my, my sister and I would hang the ornaments while mom was doing whatever on Thanksgiving night. But the real one was what my wife grew up doing, and so guess what? When we got married, we put up a real Christmas tree. You've seen the Griswolds. You've seen the sap, You've seen the needles, and what happens when the cat gets too close and is chewing on the on the the wires, right? I was the one taking care of this Christmas tree. I was the one watering it and vacuuming daily. I was the one, exact. Come on, oh, I didn't want this Christmas tree. I I struggled with that. I struggled with that, but to the point that my wife would tell you that I didn't make it enjoyable anymore that's not good. Another time that I really struggled, I'm just I, this is confession time for me, okay? So just step on your side of the closet and enjoy it. I I really struggle when we have to hang up things that need to be linearly balanced and they have more than one screw. Oh, it frustrates the garbage out of me. Heaven forbid there be multiple ones that have to be in sync with one another. I'm OCD. Very slightly, sometimes more so. All right, I need I need control of these little frames that are going on the wall. Again, I struggle with that. Another area in what we're gonna be talking about today, why am I rambling? I'm not, it's going somewhere. Stay with me, David, stay with me, okay? Don't leave yet. We'll collect a third offering here in a minute. <laughs> That'll make you happy. <laughs> Counseling <laughs> for my wife. Another thing I really struggle with, Rick, is when I'm following that driver, the young teen texting, (laughs) the one who's changing the radio station or MP3 track every other song, they're just, and they're distracted, and they won't stay in their lane. They won't stay in their lane for anything. And finally, I've hung my horn, I've done things that I shouldn't do, (laughs) that I won't even admit on recorded tape, and I'm ashamed. Because these are things that, They get to me because of the way I'm wired and I have to die daily and give these to God and ask for his grace. But today what I want to talk to us about is about staying in your lane. And I want to read a couple of passages. And I want to start today. If you brought a a Bible, it can be electronic. If you're really spiritual, it has paper pages. But I'm going to start today with Romans 12. And I'm going to read quickly because um, the exhortation is going to be short and I believe the scripture is going to speak for themselves. Romans 12, three through eight, I'm gonna be uh, reading from the NIV. It says, for, the, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Remember that. In accordance with the faith, God has distributed to each of you. So it's not all the same. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. According to the grace given to each of us. Settle in there. According to the grace that has been given to you and to you and to you. It is different. Don't compare your grace to your neighbors. It's not the same. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. And if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to have a real Christmas tree, then don't marry me. (laughs) Just kidding. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. Help me, Lord. If it is to give, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And Paul is echoed in First Peter by, by a fellow apostle. I think I can call that uh, for Paul's sake. Peter would write something very similar in First Peter chapter four, and I'm going to read verses seven through eleven. I'm going to read some verses, and then we're going to talk a little bit. So bear with me. He says something very similar, saying the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober mind, so that you may pray. Be alert and of sober mind. I want to pause there just for a moment. Think about what it means to be sober in mind, to be without distractions, to not be inebriated in thought, so to speak, to not have other things that are pulling on the way that your mind should naturally function the way that God has designed it. And what I want to talk to us about today is operating in the grace that has been given to you. And when you begin to compare your grace to the person next to you, or when I think... My wife and I felt called to the mission field. I did when I was 14, going on 15. I felt called to the mission field, but here they are. They're already doing it. I went to school and I knew what I was going to do. I got my master's in missiology. Why am I not going before them? If I compare the grace that I'm resting in and walking in to someone else's, then I'll get off track and I'll miss what God wants to do in and through my life. To be of sober mind is to not be distracted by the one that is running beside you, but to have it focused on one central point. And he goes on in verse eight, I love Peter, above all, love each other deeply because lover covers lover, love covers over a multitude of sins. I don't buy into the theology that love is blind to seeing faults. I believe love sees them and continues to love past them. Okay? I don't believe that. But I believe that our love is imitating unconditional love of our father who has loved us can love us in our imperfections as well because he's still transforming us daily into his likeness. And so we offer hospitality in this process of loving one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in his various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter could drop the mic and walk out then. Because for me to see that we are we are required to be stewards of the grace that has been given to us, that's implying Responsibility. That's, replying that, that's implying that, that it's, not, it's not going to be the same for each one of us, but also when we operate in the grace that is given us, what is at stake here? He says that then God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Here's what I am a firm believer in is that when you begin to operate in the grace that God has given you, it doesn't exalt you over your neighbor or someone else, but that God was able to use you. Because I know it's in spite of me, friends. I know that it's not because of what I have to offer or the education that I actually did finish and complete. It's not because of what my qualifications may or may not be. But it's because of what God wants to do, the grace he's entrusted to us. And if I'm a faithful steward, then look, it points back to him. It all points back heavenward because it's in him and through him and back to him. All things are. As Colossians would tell us, that's the summation of our theology. That's our life as it puts on skin. So for me to see that we are called as stewards is that you're an earthen vessel holding something that's not yours. You're a steward. This grace is not yours to begin with. It has been entrusted. It has been given for a time, for a season, possibly for a lifetime depending on what it may be, but to discern what that grace is and to walk in it. And so where am I going about staying in your lane? Because I love what Hebrews 12, one and two says, and then we're going to jump right into it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes where? On Jesus. I like this translation better. The author and finisher of our faith, the pioneer and perfecter, I like the author and the finisher. He's the beginning and he's the end of what he started in us because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, which is that we would run this race with our eyes heavenward, scorning its shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, I just pray that you would speak in and through me in the next couple of minutes that we have just to exhort my brothers and sisters today. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would divide words And you would meet needs as each has. Individualize, Lord, as only you can. Through your Holy Spirit's power, giving us encouragement and strength today. Amen. There are a few things that I think distract many of us today, as it is comparison. Things that can get us off track. Especially as we may be walking our our journey with the Lord, is looking to the left or the right possibly even looking back. I've never seen an Olympic runner, except for that guy from Jamaica, who's a, a lightning bolt fast, no pun intended. Hussein Bolt gets up there. He's the only one that has time and, and strides to be able to look back and see where everybody else is because he's so far ahead. But everyone else has just got to run their race and keep their eyes focused on where they're running towards. Correct. I've never seen someone run a race looking in the rearview mirror. If you're taking driver's ed, any teenagers in the house, please learn that the rearview mirror is not what you stare at when you're driving forward, okay? That's for when you're in reverse, possibly making lane changes. So the rearview mirror is not where we live our life. But so many of us think that, man, did you see the promotion that so-and-so got? I've been here longer. Why didn't I get that? We begin to look this way. And we're not accepting the grace that has been entrusted to us. Instead, we want to compare it to the person next to us. We want to compare it. I think about when my wife and I were trying to get pregnant with our first, with Eliana. Um, We had some some difficulties before, Um, had some that weren't viable, and... And it was hard, right? I think a lot of parents go through this. And then what happens? Except her sister, who already has two kids, gets pregnant when we're trying, right? And then you're like, are you serious? And we had our own justifications for, she's not even taking the two, you know, taking care of the two that she has. Well, no, you know, blah, blah, blah. We've been trying. You know, we had our reasons that weren't right. But that was the way we felt. And we felt justified in them. But we wanted to look over here and over there because it wasn't happening to us. And it was in our desires, but not in our moment of grace. And sometimes our moment of grace has nothing to do with our circumstances, but it has to do with the stretch that God wants to do in our life. And that stretch has everything to do with what he's producing inside of us because it's the pressure that can make that diamond in the coal, right? It's that irritation that can turn that pearl, uh, you know, from sand to a pearl. Even on the depths of the sea, Bob, That's where you're going to have to start going to get those pearls. But you see, it takes the irritation, it takes the pressure. And many times it's in that pressure and it's in that irritation that we begin to bail out or we begin to compare. And we think, God, I'm not operating in the grace that you've given me right now because I'm frustrated. And we don't discern our season and we don't understand the grace that we're in at that moment. And we can't rest in that. Instead, we're just existing, we're not thriving. And I never believe that God has called us to be trees planted bearing fruit to see them kind of sour or withered in our, in our uh, small groups. How many of you guys are part of a small group in here, or one of our life groups? Awesome. You guys remember as we were talking about in Rooted, about how we are called to thrive, right? To bear fruit. And it's not for our consumption. It's for someone else's. And it's hard to understand that in the midst of, of a a situation that you may be going through that is less than glamorous to realize this is producing fruit for someone else's consumption. But in that moment, if we will steward the grace that is being given to us, God will produce something beautiful in and through it. Now I have to admit, how many of y'all have heard that people say, well, God will never give you more than you can bear? How many of you heard that, right? And I say it with a sassy old lady's voice, right? God will will never give you more. Gail, it wasn't supposed to be yours. Why did you say watch it? (laughs) Here's the deal, though, is what we don't understand is that sometimes we will put more on ourselves than what God has given us grace to handle. Now, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to stand up here and think that Candy and I haven't had conversations in the midst of fostering these two boys wondering what in the world have we gotten ourselves into, okay? Super Bowl party being like, Cadillac of, of the examples here, we show up at the church and we've just had it. Like I've had it. I'm stressed out with work, with stuff with my family, with things I feel like are happening there that I can't even discuss with, with my parents that I work with and and all this stuff's happening. And it's just life and the boys and our kid and just everything. We homeschool and yada, yada. We've all got a long list, right? But I'd reached my, I'd reached kind of my breaking point so God could stretch me a little bit more. So God could put a little more tension on that rubber band to, so it could catapult even further into his purposes. But if we bail too soon, we don't get to see the end result of his image born in us. And we don't get to see those that are around us eat of the fruit that God is trying to bear through our lives. Doesn't mean it's always going to be glorious and glamorous but it does mean that he started it and he's going to finish it. I'm going to read one story and I'm going to close quickly because Rick took all my time today. Just kidding. First Samuel 18, this is going to give us a little bit of an example. What has happened here is David has just gotten word from his dad that he needed to go pick up some Subway and take it to his brothers who are on the front lines, right? He's taking them some sandwiches and he is... He has taken the, the meal to his brothers. He's, he's arrived there, and he hears this great big guy just scoffing at the people of God and even reviling God's name, right? Just blah, vomiting his garbage all over it. And, and David's like, who's this guy? He's like, why isn't anybody fighting him? Plus, what's the reward if somebody does? <laughs> and somebody tells him, and he says, get me some stones. Give me my sling. This dude's down. And so he walks up there, still, still looking like a little scrappy teenager. But in the in the context of slaying the giant, we read these verses right here. In 1 Samuel 18, I'm going to read verses 5 through 9. Whatever mission Saul sent David on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. And this pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. Verse 6, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out. It's always good when the women come out. The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing. Now, I don't know if this is the song I would have picked, you know, when you're at the jukebox. I don't think this is the one I would have selected to sing to King Saul. But with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres, Here's what they sing. As they dance, they sing, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. I don't think, sound effects always make preaching better, Rick. I don't think that that's what Saul wanted to hear. Nonetheless, it was true. And their perception was reality for them and, and I believe for the rest of the Israelites as well. But Saul, in the very next verse, verse eight, Saul was very angry, And this refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Talked about having your eyes on the prize of what you were called to do, and then all of a sudden, in one moment, through a couple of lyrics, you're distracted for the rest of your time on earth. And I'm not going to get into was Saul really meant to be anointed as king? Was, was Israel meant to have a kingdom like that and not be a theocracy? I'm not even going to get into that. Saul had been anointed by God. God had selected these early kings. I appreciate the beards that we have represented from our guests today because it's the beards that the oil drips from, right? Come on now, somebody, that'll Preach. But he had been anointed. The oil had run down and dripped off his beard. He had been God's man for the hour. And here was his grace that was entrusted to him. But as soon as he saw the grace of someone else and heard the lyrics recited in his head and others celebrating what David had done, it was a game changer. He couldn't recover from that spirit of comparison. He couldn't get back on track. And from that day forward, it was nothing but a rivalry. Everything changed because the grace that had been entrusted to Saul had now been blurred. The anointing, the oil had gotten a little grimy because he was looking at someone else's grace, someone else's anointing at that time. And I don't know about you, but I hear right here in verse 8, An attitude that often happens in comparison. He says, they have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But me with only thousands. That but me attitude is what will plague us if we're not careful. But me. And maybe yours isn't in comparison, but just in self-pity and wallowing. But God wants to tell you to stay in your lane today. Stay in your lane. Operate in the grace that he has entrusted to you because it's more than enough. And he's doing something far greater than you could ever imagine or think. And it's about his image. And it's about his call. And it's about something so much more than our comfort. It's about something so much bigger than us having everything the way that we had thought it would work out. I'll be doing some uh, premarital counseling this afternoon with my um, My nephew. And Candy and I were talking last night about how marriage has nothing to do with our happiness, but everything to do with our holiness, right? Marriage has nothing to do with our happiness, but has everything to do with transforming us into what Christ has pictured with his bride. For me to show unconditional love and put up real Christmas trees on occasion. Not every year, but on occasion, right? (laughs) Help me, Lord. Y'all just, let's pray again. But it is, it's true. And I see that here, the but me attitude role reverses our comfort and places it first ahead of what Jesus wants to do in and through us, which is to create his likeness. Because here's what I want to tell you today. Everybody has a universal calling. Everybody has a universal calling, and that is to be transformed to look and smell and taste like Jesus. Everybody has that, cross the board. But you have something very unique that no one else has. The unique calling of your life, no one else can fulfill but you. Do you? Do you, boo boo? No one else can be you except you, all right? I work with teenagers, I'm sorry. Bear with me. No one else can be you except you. And no one else can thrive in it except you. And if you're too busy caught up in comparing your grace to someone else's, then you're not operating in the grace that God has given you. And guess what looks different? The, the image of Christ in you and the image of Christ in the body as a whole. That's what's at stake. The image of Christ in you and then in the body of Christ as a whole is, is mangled and marred a little bit because you're, oh, man, I'm an armpit. Why can't I be, why can't I be something more glamorous? I never get to preach. And here, Pastor Mike, this is his second time this year. And believe me, I don't want to. <laughs> but do you operate in the grace that has been given to you? There's no excuses. There's no reason that we can't operate in the grace that God's given us. But if we get in that butt me attitude because we've looked to the left or the right or we heard someone else's praises and we can't celebrate with them, we have slunk out of our grace and we're, we're into comparison and it will eat us alive if we let it. It will eat us alive. It will steal our joy. We'll forget about our salvation and what Christ has done, and we'll lose our strength. And then we find ourselves in distractions, depressed, looking at other people's selfies, comparing comparing their best to our worst. Somebody else got an Instagram account? Come on now. Looking at everyone else's grace thriving because you're only going to post your best, right? You're only going to put out there in front of others what you want them to see. Heaven forbid we be transparent and honest and say, man, I'm really struggling with this. God, help me embrace the grace that you're giving me right now. I want to thrive in it. I don't want to just exist. I want to thrive. I want to grow. I want to bear fruit because I'm remaining in you. My eyes are fixed on you. You're the prize, not the runner beside me. They may have some nice legs and some new shoes, but God, you're the prize. Let's keep focused on him. Chad liked the nice legs and new shoes, I could tell. So I want to wrap up quickly. So I want to ask you, where have your eyes drifted? Where have you sunk to compare? And I'll call anybody up that wants to play any musical instrument because I can't. It it doesn't matter to me. Just so I wrap up sooner. And it sounds more spiritual. It's all true. But I want to tell you today, I want to challenge you today to stay in your lane. Thank you for sending someone up with a beard. Appreciate that too. The anointing is there. But I want to challenge us all today to stay in our lane, to operate in the grace that has been given to you. Doesn't it sound much better when he's playing? Stay in your lane. There's a song I love that United Pursuit sings. It's called, um, take a moment, take a moment and remember who God is and who I am. There you go. Lifting my load today. I believe the Lord wants to lift that load of comparison off of us. I think we've been carrying it around so long that we don't even recognize it. Sometimes we don't even realize that we're so prone to look at what God is doing in someone else's life. Or why we're at where we're at when we thought we'd be somewhere else at this point. And forbid I'm in my prime. I should, be, I should be doing great things right by now, right? Or I, I just finished this. Why am I not here? Or I should be my family sta- I We get so distracted and we get in that but me attitude and the enemy sneaks in because we don't have a sober mind. And we haven't stayed alert. We haven't been vigilant. And Peter is giving these words on the heels of the enemy who comes in like a roaring lion and our humility is what he's just talked about because he gives grace to the humble but he abhors the pride he can't help us if we're prideful because humility says this god i can't do it on my own i have to have you to help me even steward the grace that you've given me i can't do it so i'm gonna stay alert and i'm gonna be sober-minded undistracted not inebriated in thought But I'm going to stay focused, God, on you and what you want to transform me to look like, which is you, and to bear fruit right where you've planted me in the grace that you've given me. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes just for a moment with me. Jesus wants to see his image in you and through you. And he's got a grace that is, it's tailor-made. And there's people that will only be touched because of your story and because of your stewardship, because of your life. Can I encourage you? Stay in your lane. Just be yourself who God's created you to be. Be an administrator. Be a steward of the grace that is only for you. And slip out of the comparison that the enemy wants to distract us with. And if this is something that you feel like is spoken to you right where you're at, if you maybe feel like you've drifted out to the left or the right of, of that lane of, and you're swerving a little bit, and maybe you're not even sure if you're even on, going the right direction. If that's where you're at this morning, if this message is spoken to you, would you just slip up your hand? I want to pray for you this week and right now in this moment. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Father, I just pray for every single person that is in this house today. God, would you let us see that you are enough? We are so satisfied with you and renew that spirit within us again. That when tragedy would distract us, when comparison would distract us, when someone else's grace or victory would distract us, Lord, help us to be vigilant and sober in our mind to fix our eyes on you, the prize. Because you are faithful. And you are good. And you are great. And your kingdom is doing something far greater and bigger than we could ever imagine. But, Lord, we make ourselves willing and available to you today. So I pray right now that you would encourage where there has been discouragement. God, that you would renew hope where there there has been a loss of interest or passion, Lord. I pray, God, that where there has just been the, the mentality of comparing and there has been just the enemy has had an opportunity to come in and derail. Right now, Lord, I believe that you can put things back on track and fix our eyes back on you and allow us to rekindle that first love. We thank you, God, that it is all from you. And it is all through you and it all goes back to you. So today, God, be glorified. Be glorified through the stewardship of the grace that you've entrusted to each one of us individually. Strengthen us where we have become weak and feeble and allow us, Lord, to walk linked arm in arm, recognizing the body for what it is that we may be the aroma of Christ in this world. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you that it's only because you first loved us presence of God, settle in this room. Settle on every person that's here today. We rest in you. We rest in your completed and finished work, which you started. God, we're just along for the ride. You're going to finish. We bless your name today. We bless your name. Amen.